Hi, and welcome to another episode of Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropists of the regenerative movement, people with a planetary purpose. My name is Julian Guderlei, and in today's episode, I'm hosting an interview with Samir Lakani. Samir is a social entrepreneur dedicated to restoring health and dignity to developing countries. Before founding Eco Soap Bank in 2014, Samir was deeply involved in aquaculture and nutrition projects in northern Cambodian villages. He has also developed solar lighting solutions, uh, solution projects in Cambodia, Bangladesh, and Nepal. So through his six years of nonprofit work in the areas of nutrition, water, accessibility, and sanitation hygiene, he has witnessed firsthand how delivering key products like soap can transform the health and well-being of impoverished communities. And we'll be talking about this today. So with these words, welcome to the show, Samir. Thank you very much. I'm proud to be part of this movement. Yeah, I feel like so many of us are proud of, proud, proud part of this movement these days. And, you know, being a regenerative human um, requires, I guess, a few philosophical and then a few value adjustments. But, but really, we talked about this um, when we first met. Our generation of, I would say, the like 35-year-olds and younger, <laughs> it, it's, it's almost like it comes, not for granted, but it comes like we become equipped like this. It's like, duh, let's build an economy that makes sense for people, planet, and profit. Do you think it's something fundamental to us or just by virtue of our age? Sometimes I just think it's the young perspective that lends itself to that sort of philosophy. Um, That's a really good inquiry. I, yeah. I, I hope not, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> right. I'm turning 33 this year, so that would mean I'd have another like two years or so before I turn into a, a, a greedy monster. No, I don't want to say that, that older generations have, have done wrong. I just think that I think it's the generation itself. I think something has changed on the planet. You know, like 50, 60 years ago, people didn't have the capacity or even the desire to care about the planet because we weren't really there yet as a species and today it, it it seems like it's it's quite obvious what we do has consequences <laughs> and since a lot of us not everyone um a lot of us have you know drinking water and houses to live in and maybe not just one car but two um, we realize the consequences of that kind of lifestyle and, and yeah. so the younger generations i think they just get it like we just we just seem to get this naturally yeah what very much very much so. And uh, just listening to, to you read the bio, um, you know, I've been doing this work for six years with a focus on the developing world, um, partly because that's, that's my family's history. But also, you're right, it's not, some, it's not an acquired taste, and it wasn't something that I learned over time. It seems that I was born with this conviction um, and yeah, I do think it's part of the everyday consciousness, which definitely helps and makes it easier because we don't have a personal barrier to overcome. We can get straight to work, right? That's very interesting. So let's, let's talk about your work a little bit. And um, in that context, maybe let me ask a first question. Like, what do you think, Samir, is most required in the world of today? Like, what is, what is really needed out there? Um... That's a good, that's a good question. I think the first thing is literacy and understanding, um, not only with regards to, and I know you share this philosophy, but not only with regards to our place um, as, as planetary species, but also in the universe as well. 
if we begin to understand that we, <laughs> the universe is much larger, much more important um, than just ourselves and our own stories, I think it comes with a certain humility. So if we can come to a certain universal humility, I think that lends itself towards more environmental consciousness and action. But honestly, on a more pragmatic level, I really do think that businesses have a responsibility to be more sustainable, and that's exactly where we find ourselves. Yeah, pretty much, right? This is kind of what's happening these days is more and more people demand more and more businesses to develop a, a social consciousness. And, right. and it's kind of an exciting time to be on the planet because it's it's a turnaround movement, right? I, I do believe that business has a large responsibility to, to be part of solutions, answers, and simply the next steps. Like I like to go away from these like drastic narratives of like, if we don't do X, we're fucked. It's like, no, not necessarily. It's, it's more like a, who are we evolving into as a species, as a, an economy, et cetera. So, so tell us, tell us the story um, behind EcoSoap Bank. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious to hear it from a founding perspective. It was a very personal and emotional journey, I will tell you. Um, these six years, frankly, have felt like 60. And I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. However, it, you know, it all started in a single moment, as most founding stories do. Um, while I was in uh, uni, um, I did a uh, climate change research project in Cambodia. Uh, you know, my university wanted me to stay locally, um, but uh, I had this international itch from a very young age, probably uh, acquired from my parents, who are immigrants. And so I literally, you won't believe this, but this is what happened. I literally got a globe out and spun it and put my finger down on a map, on the map. Um, and my, wow. uh, yeah, my forefinger landed on the country of Cambodia. And thank goodness they didn't have any strict visa requirements. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I flew to Cambodia um, mostly to understand how climate change was affecting people at the bottom of the economic pyramid. I wanted to hear firsthand the, the uh, level of awareness, if you will, of farmers who have been living in the same exact way they have for the last thousand or two thousand years. Did they, did they understand the term climate change? Were they witnessing its effects firsthand? And I'll tell you, um, yes, they were. And it was That's almost- about 2013, 2014? 2014, I believe, yeah, oh. late 2014. It was nearly unanimous amongst uh, Cambodian villagers and farming communities that they were seeing um, magnificent changes in seasonal patterns and floods and droughts. Um, and one thing I really like to punctuate is that when we talk about resiliency, you know, we think about, at least from a Western perspective or my perspective, we think about, you know, flood waters and we think about rising sea levels in cities like Miami or New York City. Resiliency has a completely different meaning uh, for places like rural Cambodia, where 80% of the population lives in these antiquated landscapes and, uh, and uh, small economies. And to them, their entire livelihoods were being uprooted slowly and predictably. Their supplies of rice were dwindling, which affected the family's income, uh, if not their own nutritional benefits. 
um, and they looked forward to one freak uh, natural incident per year, whether that was a drought or a flood or something that wiped away their livelihoods even further. So that was the landscape that I was beginning to witness uh, in rural, rural northern Cambodia. However, and what does this have to do with soap, right? Mm -hmm. In a single moment, uh, frankly, my life changed forever. I saw a, a village, a Cambodian village mother bathing her newborn son in one of these rural villages. However, she was scrubbing his skin with laundry detergent, something that here in the West we would never do or even think of. And so with the help of a Cambodian friend and translator I was traveling with, I asked her if she had access to a bar of soap you know, for, for washing. And she told me that a bar of soap was considered a luxury item and that it would take two to three days of daily income to afford a single bar of soap imported wow. from China or Vietnam. So that was the economic hey. problem. Wow. In addition to that, I asked her if she really felt that laundry detergent, laundry powder would be preventing the types of diseases that we all prevent through daily hand washing, for example. And she told me something striking. She told me that if her son fell sick, it was likely because of sins he committed in a past life, mm. right? There was a karmic philosophy there. And so it dawned on me suddenly that I was up against not only an ec enormous economic problem with no clear solutions, but I was uh, up against generations of health misunderstanding. And mm. if I had to change those tides, it would take a Herculean effort. Mm. So that, that was my experience. And to be perfectly honest, the solution came very shortly thereafter. I thought to myself, okay, how do I provide this village and other villages like it with the soap that they needed to stay healthy? And I thought, okay, maybe I can go home and raise some money and buy 10,000 bars of soap from China and ship it to Cambodia. And I quickly looked at my uh, bank account that was um, suffering from student debt, and I realized that was probably not a wise uh, choice. So I had to find a cheap and ongoing supply of soap to address that critical hygiene problem. And I very quickly realized that the soap was right under my feet the whole time. As I stepped into a hotel bathroom, I knew that the housekeepers were throwing away this bars of soap. So in that moment, I knew exactly what I needed to do. And I, in that moment, became a lifelong soap recycler. Wow. Yeah, man, I can, I'm there with you in this rural village in Cambodia where sure. I have traveled um, like a decade or so ago. And that's, that's a double whammy, right? Like from both angles, like economically, we, we, we've co-created this, this bottleneck. And then, you know, maybe there's a, a karmic load uh, in, in our lives, if you believe in it or not, is, is secondary, I guess, because if you you know, if you wash your hands, you're still reducing the risks of any infection. And so, so that would, that would be a pretty, like a pretty real trigger. And I, you know, like if we put this into our like Western context though, like you could walk down the street in a city like San Francisco or Vancouver and have similar experiences with people who live in the street to realize, wow, we're just, we're just doing some of the basics really upside down. I would say, I don't even want to call it the, wrong, the, the, the word wrong, but so, to understand the journey of EcoSoap better, 
you actually got the aha moment when you saw how much we waste in the modern hotel complex. Is that right? I learned um, through some cursory research that the global hotel industry throws away 5 million bars of usable soap per day. Okay, that's about 2 billion bars per year. Um, and in that moment, I, I, I knew that that is our target. That is our market. If we can stop soap from needlessly going to landfills and redirect luxury, a luxury product, into the hands of people who need it most, along with health education, along with economic empowerment, we will have settled down on a model that works for everybody, including the hotel. Wow. And at this point, you've served like over a million people, more than eight, nine countries. Yes. Yeah. They so jump forward a little bit. What are, what are some of the learnings, some of the growth, some of the examples that you can report from? So we've scaled over the last six years, but ultimately the process and mission is simple. We employ disadvantaged women in developing countries to recycle leftover hotel soap, and then we give it away to children in schools, hospitals, orphanages, and health clinics in order to reduce disease and to save lives. So we're currently employing um, 147 women in 13 countries, uh, working in 18 major cities around the world, and we annually redirect enough soap along with education to about 1.6 million children. I understand that might sound impressive in only five and a half, six years. However, for me, it's highly unsatisfying. Uh, and this is very common amongst founders because I know that the target is five million bars of soap per day, right? And, uh, and estimates have shown we're only Here working with one. To that, man. <laughs> five million. Five, five million. Yeah, I think, I think conservatively it would be 50 40 foot containers of soap per day right um, like many like many inequality problems the globe faces it's not so much a supply issue it's not a for example with hunger it's not a supply of um, uh, insufficient supply of calories it's a logistics problem it's a logistics problem it's a corruption problem in many places. And so for us, that's, that's kind of our problem. There, there are, you know, 200,000 hotels all over the world. How do we enroll them sustainably in this program? And how do we connect the resources with the people that need it? So it's been, it's been quite a learning experience, um, but our convictions stay stable. We create green jobs for women, and that is a firm principle and tenant of ours. This is what we believe in. We recycle soap using as little um, fossil fuels as possible. In fact, we use biofuel to pick up um, the soap from the hotel, and the recycling process alone is perfectly manual. We don't use any electricity or gasoline, for example. And lastly, we need to ensure that we are connecting not only the product, but education into the hands of children so they can learn this lifelong habit, you know. Um, you know, it's uh, hygiene should be a fundamental human right, especially when you hear news about Ebola and the coronavirus. I what was do just we about to say, um, not fun fact is the coronavirus, I think, 
number one way, I, I don't love the like the panic making media around viruses like this, but number one way how it how you can prevent it is just washing your hands. Just right? like hand people, washing. People hand wearing masks and airplanes and everything. That's that's almost unnecessary because not these these viruses aren't really airborne. It's more about what you touch and then where you touch yourself next, right? And, so um, disease transmute or sorry, communicable diseases are transported 80% through your hands. Mm. 80%. Okay. Uh, and so, yeah, sometimes we get, we get very excited about treatment and, and, uh, and, 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 and medicine, but sometimes we have to go back to basics, especially when you realize that more children die of diarrhea than AIDS, measles, and malaria combined. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, that's, that's like the Bill Gates story, right? Very yeah, much so. Solving this diarrhea and then like a toiletry problem they have in the world. And, and so, yeah, you know, if we talk about regenerative, I think as a movement, as a, like a consciousness among many of us at this point, it's it's often the same the same problem is we we have these like problems that look almost mind-boggling from a western perspective if you live like a middle class or 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 above kind of lifestyle in terms of income economic income and then the solutions would theoretically be so simple right like distribution yeah. of food we have the distribution pathways with like knock knock if you're coca-cola or budweiser you probably are able to deliver into every rural town on this planet. Yeah. And yet somehow we're still stuck on the economic wheel of, um, of the past. And, you know, I, the, here, here's the funny thing talking to you, Samir. I feel like you have looked down that rabbit hole long enough to see it with probably both perspectives of like this, like this painful, like really, what the fuck are we still doing? But also this, <laughs> this chuckle about like, yeah, this is kind of the mess we've created, right? Yeah, yeah. I see the I see the light at the end of the tunnel, and you know what? I don't feel particularly. Um, I don't feel I have my strengths are not in leadership on a global scale or advocating for different approaches and solutions. My approach is to do the best that I can at this given activity to make it as equitable as possible, and so. You know, we, we've touched on this briefly before. A lot of people ask me, you know, given your success, what are you going to do next? I'm going to do this bigger and better. I have to, you know, I don't see- I mean, bars of soap every day. Every day, that's where we're at. You know, that's what we're going towards. Because um, I'm, I'm dissatisfied by the scale, but I'm totally satisfied and convinced by the solution. Yeah, so let's talk about the solution a little bit more. So when we think of, and we can include food in our like sure. kind of idea of it, right? Because like when we think of hotels and guest houses and 5 million bars of soap every day globally, then it's, you know, if you're not part of that industry, it's almost like, yeah, so just collect them and then send them somewhere, right? That's sure. like the, the innocent thought, I would say. Sure. But then we know the economic realities and also the hygiene realities and also the, like the, the laws and legislations and, and simply the admin processes around redistributing food or redistributing something like soap, are, they're a little bit tighter and maybe inhibiting than we imagine them. So sure. what are some of the main 
barriers or hurdles you run in when you talk to large hotels? Because it sounds to me like they should all be on board and be like, let's, let's support Ecosoap, you know? Right, of course. So with hotels, when they look at the initiative, obviously it's, um, it's a win-win situation. They love it. They love the fact that when you recycle products, it doesn't just help the planet in the long run, but it can help a human life in the short term. That's one of our benefits, right? It takes about a week for that bar of soap to be recycled, turned around and redistributed to a child that can potentially save their life. So that narrative and story is, it's so compelling. What isn't as compelling, and this is perfectly understandable, is that we operate a sustainable model whereby hotels need to pay a very, very small price in order to participate. And that is just the model that we have selected. And the reason for that is there are costs associated with this recycling, particularly the green employment of women, but also we determined how do we get to that 5 million bar mark? We don't get it by asking Bill Gates for money. We don't get it by, by fundraising solely. We had to develop a sustainable, a sustainable service where the hotels are looked at as real stakeholders in this humanitarian initiative and not just supply chain partners, if you will. Um, so that's the initial barrier. I'm not sure how to transform appetites with regards to this sustainability uh, and, and CSR in general. This is just something that we need to advocate for and provide as good as a service as we can. Do you have any thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I'm glad this is turning into like a, a, a brainstorm session. Anyone who has any thoughts, please reach out to me and send me a <laughs> Yes, please. You know, these are the real life situations that um, you know, we talk about global warming a lot, but the social inequality and the connection to global warming and the connection to uh, our economic systems. This is the reality we all get to, in my words, I would say like unwind from how we wound it up over the last hundred years. Um, there are much more drastic ways to express it, but yeah, I think it's a good idea to have the hotels actually participate and with a cost factor. I think this is, this is the other side of the responsibility is to understand like it should be a win-win-win, but for those who have and, and large corporations, probably not every small guest house, but large corporations actually have those excess funds to yeah. catalyze. It's just a matter of which ones do they want to invest into and, and which ones, you know, have yeah, maybe even are like an additional value add for people to say, I, I like booking this hotel because I know they've taken care on the supply chain um, issues that we have in the world in a holistic fashion. And I think we're not quite there yet that this, I, I'm, I'm buying my jeans because, or I'm buying my coffee because, or I'm booking my hotel because, and not just one singular thing, which I'm so would be a singular thing, but because that large supplier has done you know the successive steps of covering a holistic panel of social responsibility topics and and so i think this is the job people like you and i are kind of here to to help uh, negotiate and bring into the world because it's it's a matter of doing it 
raising awareness for this thing. I don't think most people know you can recycle soap, um, but also being, at, being on the curve and getting ready for when the demand is there mm. uh, in whichever form it does materialize. And so we determined very early on that recycling soap is quite niche. However, how can we expand our services in order to provide sufficient levels of value to hotels? And what we started to do is we embarked on a really quite ambitious R&D phase. We said, how do we begin to recycle the plastic and those small conditioner and lotion bottles? We're able to now uh, redirect the full bottles to children that need it, but also to recycle the plastic in a sustainable way. You would be surprised to know it's one of the most difficult plastic products to recycle um, because there's liquid components inside. But we have a particular solution for that. Did you know, Julian, that um, hotels throw away linens after 60 washes? Hmm. No, I did not. Know. Tons upon tons upon tons of linens are thrown away per property every single year. Okay, these are perfectly good linens. Okay, Julian spilled a little bit of coffee on them, so now it needs to be thrown away. No, no, we can collect that. We can redistribute that to a local hospital that needs infection control uh, protocols so they can combat Ebola, combat this new virus, all these sorts of things. There's value in these products. And so, uh, and there's a host of other products we can now recycle, such as cooking, uh, like uh, cooking oil for, to make biofuel, et cetera, et cetera. And so we determined that you know, we need to recycle as much as humanly possible so that hotels uh, see value in this initiative. And they are, they're beginning to, and they're warming up to it, and we're optimistic about that. Secondly, secondly, hotels are interested in providing guests with experiences. Mm -hmm. Now, what is taking the cake has been cultural exposure experiences and, and just generally uh, wellness experiences and other pleasurable experiences. We want to introduce a new type of experience to the, to the, to the guest consciousness, and that is one of impact, right? If we can connect if we can connect the guest stay and provide an experience in some medium, indicating that through their stay, they have made a sustainable impact on women, on children and the environment, we will have done our jobs. So we're playing the long game here, you know? That's so fascinating. I, I really enjoy listening to EcoSoap and your journey within it. I wanna to get to know you a little bit more and, and sure. maybe ask like a, a few questions just, just straight up about, about your life or the way it influenced you as, as um, an entrepreneur and an, an impact entrepreneur, right? So my first question, because you know, you operate in so many countries, if you were to like super grounded question, if you were to choose three places in the world that have impressed you or left like a uh, oh, connection to your heart, like just three, unfair. right? Because it's, it's, it's so many in the world, but like tell us your top three. <sighs> okay. If I'm being perfectly honest, um, my top place to visit and work in is Lebanon. Have you been? I have not yet been to Lebanon, but every time I think of Lebanon, they impress me because I think with Canada, they're the only country that has simply a tree on their flag. <laughs> Yeah, very much so. It's a historic tree. Um, <laughs> so my primary reason for loving to work in Lebanon is very, very good hummus. 
excellent on this. No, no, this, no, this work, this work has afforded me the opportunity to visit small countries. Mm. I feel that larger countries, and nothing against them, this is not a commentary, they take up a lot of oxygen, and it's by virtue of having a larger population, perhaps, or more economic buying power, or whatever it is. But there's these small places that are littered across the globe that have such distinct cultures and languages um, apart from their neighbors that really deserve our attention. So Lebanon, okay. Lebanon is fascinating to me because its modern history is probably some of the most complex in the region. Um, and it's just fascinating to see a grand experiment of people living together in relative harmony. It's a, success, mm -hmm. it's a success story, even against the current news and the topical news that is coming out of Lebanon today. That's the first thing. But secondly, I'm, imp I'm impressed by the tenacity of people of different backgrounds in order to materialize our initiative. So we're just, just to get, tell you very briefly, we're employing uh, four disabled Lebanese women in Beirut to recycle soap from 30 to 35 five-star hotels. And nobody was doing this before we entered, right? No one would possibly look at Beirut and say, ah, it's a major tourist bastion. Let's start working there. Um, but we gave it the attention that it needs. And so the vast majority of major hotels in Lebanon are participating in this initiative. Um, we're creating jobs for disabled Lebanese women who ordinarily could not have any other source of income or reliable income. And we're redirecting thousands and thousands of bars per month to Syrian refugees, either in Lebanon or inside Syria or on the border of Turkey. And it's our small way of doing good for the Lebanese environment, immediate environment, but also doing our part for the refugee and humanitarian crisis that's on our doorstep. So I'm very yeah, and don't forget to tell me the other two countries, but it's like when you hear you speak, right? It's just so clear. These possible solutions are they, it's clearer than ever in this moment right now. They're all out there. All it takes is someone to look at a complex situation and realize, oh, within this complexity of like tourism and economical struggle and maybe political struggle with your neighbors, no one has actually looked at that small piece in the chain. And if you look on a, on a global scale or even in your local uh, community, no matter where in the world, there are tons of these examples where a little bit of ingenuity, a little bit of like humble audacity will get you to the place where you can be an entrepreneur making a social impact or even just a citizen act, activist group. Like, you know, we, we don't need to resist the big leadership. We can literally look at what is in demand and what is actually already there that needs redirection. One of my, uh, I recently started doing yoga and uh, we don't have to talk about yoga too much, but uh, one of the basic principles is um, start where you are. And it's mostly in terms of if you can't touch your toes, start from where you are. And uh, that's, that's something that applies to our philosophy when our team works. It's don't look at, don't look at it in terms of, you know, going towards the biggest markets. Look towards where the components, the recipes are ready and that your solution is needed and do whatever you can in order to conform to the existing variables to make that impact. And I think that's very compelling because if we looked at the market alone, 
we wouldn't be working in Lebanon. We would be working in, you know, in Shanghai or, or um, in Disneyland or something like that. So that's very important to us. Um, the other two countries uh, follow in a similar vein of being small. I really love the natural beauty that Laos uh, has. Have you ever been? I've been close, but I haven't actually gone to Laos. I've been to Thailand and Cambodia, but not Laos. Okay. So um, it's, I, I want more people to travel to Laos. Uh, we have a small program in Luang Prabang, uh, which is a, an old French town. And um, they, um, yeah, we, we redirect thousands of bars to, to these schools that are in, in foggy mountains and hills. They're, they're totally cut off from the rest of civilization. But like Coca-Cola, as you said earlier, we show up with a box of soap and we show up with a message and we teach these kids, listen, you don't need MRI machines. This is all you need. Take it seriously and do this every single day. So I really love working in Laos. And the last one, of course, um, uh, is, is Cambodia. Cambodia, Cambodia, just very quickly, has undergone one of the harshest modern histories of any other country that, that, we, that we work in. And it's a sheer miracle that that country has picked itself up psychologically and emotionally, still has problems, but has picked itself up to, to, to maintain its culture and its identity. It's a beautiful reality of the world. Uh, and then also, I, I cannot express the beauty of, of Cambodian rural life, not really out of choice because there's massive urbanization occurring, uh, and, uh, but uh, these rural landscapes look the same way they did 2,000 years ago, right? And that is something beautiful and it's worth preserving. Yeah, beautiful, man. I, I just travel to these countries with you. I have another question. And you sure. already mentioned a little bit about the education systems and like how education is part of, you know, like the hygiene and, and, and the soap uh, redistribution business you're in. Um, the question <laughs> is this, if you could single-handedly or with a team of experts change the education system, what would you do? Um, that's a good question. Um, there's so much. Um, so feminine hygiene needs to be uh, part of the curriculum. Um, um, just general health awareness and health understanding. Um, getting rid of rote memorization, I don't think works. Um, so different other creative ways to change education. Um, and what else? What else is there? I think, um, I think we need to be a little bit realistic when it comes to actual vocations. And so to tailor education, not towards being academically objective, but towards the economic realities of the country, I think is a good thing. Um, but, but frankly, Julian, um, there is so much injustice and inequality when it comes to resources. I just wish that was figured out and I don't have a clear solution for that. So for example, um, education in Cambodia is cut off to 50% of the student population because if you want to continue your education in the afternoon, you need to pay a small fee to your teacher. And people call that corrupt. I just call it the current system because those teachers aren't being compensated. So there's, there's structural problems that need to change first. 
Yeah, and they're different in every place, right? But I, I, I honor your answer there. I think often in these bigger topics, it's not about having one right answer, but to consistently uh, go a little bit deeper, lean a little bit further in and say, okay, so um, what, what if we create a culture that isn't change resistant, but is embracing change? And yeah. then these ways and trains of thinking will, will be much more, more practiced and um, another question for you, though, right here, right now, is um, around trust. And I want to know from you, what is it, what is required for you to experience trust? Trust uh, through a partnership or on a personal level? Well, you can, you can pick your example. I, I think trust is an, a very big topic in, in the global society as we're you know we're coming out of nation states we're coming out of like cultural differences but really ultimately when you trust someone and, and make an, a step into that magic happens so this is hard hitting julian um i would say that trust to my my novice mind is the level by which you're willing to be vulnerable um, with the opposite party or the person you're trying or person or entity you're trying to be closer and more aligned with how honest and vulnerable you're willing to be instead of instead of taking a a pitchy or a sales approach um, I sometimes feel that we've removed all humanity from partnerships uh, from an institutional level, but also from a personal level too. You embody your work and you embody the, the various tenets of your work or your organization or even your branding sometimes comes out in everyday conversation. Um, and I, I, I'm, I'm not of that camp. And so if I, could, if I could slowly change the way in which we worked and interact, I wish, I wish we were more vulnerable with each other. I don't, see, uh, I don't see that as a display of weakness. I see that as a gesture of sure humility, but also a, 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 a way of communicating your eagerness to improve for the betterment of whatever you're trying to help, right? And not so much for the standalone quality of your own institution. Yeah, very interesting where you're going there. I'll, I'll simply let that stand and rec receive that. I think there's lots of merit in that answer. Um, is there, I have one more question for you. Sure. Is there anything else you'd like to throw in right now? Any, anything you want to direct people towards? Um, let me know. So um, I, don't, I don't think so. Um, one of the things that we're really, really proud of is, this is the picture I like to paint. And you know, six years in, um, it's still the type of visualization that, uh, that brings me goosebumps. I just want to paint the picture that, okay, so people will visualize and they will see our initiative, right? They understand that women are being employed and that eventually the end user is that child who is being, uh, who is being taught how to use soap and we'll have soap on it on an everyday um, uh, basis. But I want all that good stuff, all that empowerment and humanitarian good, it all is activated. If you think of it in terms of a continuum or a chain, the whole thing is activated by trash, okay? The whole thing, it's like starting a car, not with gasoline, but it's starting it with trash and going from A to B. And 
I think here's here's the thing. This is a thought experiment we undertake very very commonly. It's if the large uh, soap making businesses said, "We love what you're doing. Let us make ten thousand or ten million bars of virgin soap and give it to you, so that we can activate the humanitarian part of your mission." That is not the narrative we wish to sustain, right? It is the, it's the whole timeline. It's the whole continuum, if you will. To us, that's very, very powerful because it fits perfectly inside one another. And so if you look at that trash that's emanating from that hotel, I can just visualize all the good that comes out of it, right? And um, yeah, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of the, the picture I want to paint for people, you know? That's a really a live picture in my mind that the trash we create in this world, you know, it turns into fuel or part of the regenerative cycle for everything else that needs to be accomplished. And, and we're definitely not there yet on a global scale. Um, we may be there in some small examples and some uh, specific niches, but I think there's a lot of work to do in this next decade specifically on exactly that front. So thank you for placing this picture into our collective mind, into the, the nation of images, the imagination of, of, of many people. My last question, Samir, is how I started this podcast. I want to know about people's earth vision, their dream for the earth, their um, idea of, of what's possible on this pale blue dot, either um, imaginatively speaking or speaking through values. And the context I want to give you is think of it in like a 200 year timeline, like seven generations down the line. Like, um, what kind of world do you dream of? One, one essential piece is that I, I think we need, to, we need to reduce our quality of life and standard of living by 20%. And we need to be okay with that. Um, that's, that, is, that is something that is a hard pill to swallow. And I don't know what it will take. Um, in order to get to that point, um, but I, I cannot envision a a, um, a cohabitable world with nature, um, a sustainable world where we maintain, relatively speaking, our existing uh, mobility and quality of life. So that's that's one thing that I think needs to fundamentally shift in our psyche. The second thing is that. I think we need to reimagine what it means to be mobile, as I said before. Um, now, it, I, I don't think it's as simple as saying, oh, cut your trips down by 20% or choose more, um, choose uh, less carbon costly modes of travel. I certainly believe in coming up with the innovations necessary to make travel more sustainable, but fundamentally, I think we need to reduce the amount of miles that, uh, that, we, that we take and that we log under our feet. So yes, I work in 13 countries around the world. I don't need to visit these countries quarterly in order to do the work that I need to do. And trust me, Julian, we operate some very complex mechanisms here, right? A lot can be accomplished remotely by trusting parties and, and having them come up with local solutions. I think trust, trusting parties, as you said earlier, um, makes for more relevant uh, environmental solutions. However, it might not come at the Western workflow or speed that, that we're usually at. So I think 
mobility, reimagining mobility and, and using the non-carbon costly tools we have at our fingertips is really important. And you know what? I'll, I'll leave, you know, I haven't thought about this in a long time. I'll leave you with an example. I'd love for you to respond. I was traveling as, you know, as a 16 year old, I think I was in East Africa at the time. My parents are from East Africa and I was traveling with a friend of mine and my friend asked me, do you ever need to leave the city that you're living in? And I said, yes, of course, I need to travel the world. I need to experience new cultures. I need to find myself. I need to be enlightened. I need to interact. And he said, no, but, but really, if you had all of your creature comforts and, and your, your, personal, um, you know, uh, your, your personal inputs all taken care of locally, do you really need to travel outside of your city or is that more a luxury? I think we, we very commonly think that it's within our grasp and within our right to experience things at the sacrifice of the environment. And I'm not, I'm not saying I have a concrete answer to my friend's question, but it just put me in an interesting mental space, which was, you're right maybe returning to the days of old where we live in smaller spaces and smaller communities is necessary. And this global ambition, um, planetary ambition, as, as I know you would prefer us saying, um, is, is something that we need to look at for, for what it is, you know? Super curious answer there. I, I definitely follow some of those kind of logic chains and I, I agree like healthy local communities are a hugely important part for for both a culture of regeneration but also for like a culture that um you know creates a, a new fabric of how humans relate i don't know if you need to go back for this i mean i think the only way really is is forward embracing um what currently is and, and modulating it and changing it slightly into ways that are um, not just more sustainable, but actually ultimately regenerate the cycles yeah. of uh, nature as we're part of it. But I think your answer is is perfectly both critical, but also like pointing a certain direction. So it, it will it will keep me thinking for a bit, and um, I know so so it will do that for for listeners today. Samir, thank you so much for your time, for your insights, for your examples. Uh, had a great time having you on the show. It is my pleasure. Anytime, Julian. that's that another episode of green planet blue planet podcast i hope you truly enjoyed this one and received some insights knowledge and a form of learning that you can directly apply to your life into your relationships or maybe even into your business and the way you show up for the world because this is a movement and we're all part of it very much so and we're in this together we're here to create a world of a triple bottom line where you win i win and the entire planet wins we're raising consciousness together and you know that. That's why you're listening. That's why I love you. So make sure to share the love. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Invite a friend to listen to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. And if you have an idea who else you'd like me to interview, make sure you reach out and send me a suggestion. Definitely check out greenplanet-blueplanet.com, the website to the podcast. I've created a lot of different offers for you. Free content, free meditations for you to amplify your connection to self 
the state of social impact in the world, and for you to connect and listen to who you could support of the people that I actually interview, because their missions are ongoing and a lot of them need more collaboration. And after more than 100 episodes now, with some of the world's leading social impact experts, I have synthesized my most inspired learnings and takeaways to create coaching and mentorship programs for you and the people around you. Let me share with you about planetary purpose coaching and mentorship experiences. If you're in a space in your life where you're ready to level up to amplify who you are, what's coming through you and what you're doing to give your gift to the world, then I would love to hear from you and I'd love for you to apply to one of my private mentorships or group mentorships. Because getting all of the juice, all of that life force that's in you out into the world is something you deserve and the entire world around us deserves. Also, I work with people who are entirely new to this, to the topic of planetary purpose or the topic of meditation, the topic of inside evolution and revolution. And if that's you and you're ready to step out of the ordinary and into creation, or if you know someone who is totally ready for that, make sure to check out the website or share the website. And you can also always shoot me a message on Instagram. I'll definitely read it and get back to you. Because, like, th guys, this is real life. Let's be in touch and let's create this together. Last but not least, there's a few different group experiences I host, both in person and online. All of them are quantum learning environments, and I'm happy to tell you more. So simply inform yourself and stay connected, because whatever resonates with you, I'm here to support you and bring out more purpose into the world. And with that being said, wherever you are in the world, make sure to be you, show up all the way, be all in. Connect with someone today, make them smile, have yourself a stellar day. Lots of love to you, and until soon.